You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal in the Kitty Copied Off in Math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And before we begin to break down everything that went on in the Vikings loss to the Seattle Seahawks 26-27, I want to ask you to help support your local businesses. Whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops, local businesses have always been on your team, supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support, so let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses, and look for the contactless symbol to tap and pay with a contactless visa to help support your community, because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. So, this is going to hurt. The Vikings go to 1-4 and four after a 26-27 to 27 back and forth, I guess. Uh, sufficiently and predictably chaotic loss to the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle on primetime. This is like an annual tradition at this point where the Vikings go into Seattle, have some uh, unbelievably weird game, and lose and leave us all very frustrated. And there's a lot to take in. And I kind of made a lot of points uh, after the Tennessee game about like moral victories. And the fact that the Vikings actually played pretty tough against one of the NFL's elite should be kind of encouraging, although that rings a little bit more hollow when they're 1-4. and four. And even if they do play like encouragingly, eventually they have to start chalking up some of these W's or it's going to be way too late to even get into playoff positions. So this game is, I think it's okay to be pretty frustrated, even though the Vikings played pretty well for, I would say, probably like 55 minutes of it. And the win probability of this game probably tells the story of it the best, where you have the Seahawks, uh, you know, because they were favored, they start out in front, but the Vikings very quickly take over, get up to a very high uh, win probability, then lose it all in like nine seconds with this catastrophic meltdown in the third quarter, claw it all back, get to a very high win probability point. And then we have that infamous fourth and inches. The Vikings decided to go for fourth and inches uh, on the Seahawks six yard line. They don't get it. And Seattle drives 94 yards all the way down for what ends up being the game clinching touchdown. The Vikings do get a small opportunity to go back and get a field goal, but they had like 15 seconds and two timeouts and it, it, pretty tough to ask uh, them to go all the way down the field from there. And that was kind of the unfortunate cycle of the game. You beat up the Seahawks for like 20, 25 minutes of game time. You dominate time of possession. You dominate play count, which, as I've said before, is a much more accurate way to kind of capture the concept you're supposed to get with time of possession is who's on offense, who's kind of controlling the game. The Vikings were controlling that game until they had this catastrophic meltdown. And this just seems like something that these Vikings are going to be good for at least once a game is just some sort of catastrophic sequence where they forget what sport they're playing, turn the ball over a bunch, give up 21 points in two minutes just this absolute meltdown the likes of which I can't, couldn't even fathom before this season let alone had I seen before I mean this is worse than the Allen Williams meltdown defenses of, of you know the Leslie Frazier era 
and then you know you pull it back and you you play hard for 25 more minutes and then you melt down again at the end and this is just the way the vikings are they're not capable of putting together a consistent 60 minutes of football if they could do that i think they could honestly have found their way to three and two right now after that zero and two start if they could put together 60 consistent minutes but they can't and a team that can't put together 60 consistent minutes of football deserves to be one and four there are a few overall notes I kind of want to get to before I start talking about some of the key moments and like controversies of the game. Um, but here's like the, the essence of the game in the in overall and some of this stuff we're going to revisit in the Wednesday tape review show. So if you're interested in talking about some of that stuff more in depth, come join me on Wednesday morning. But uh, for one, I think maybe the, the thing that stuck out the most to me about the Vikings, especially in a positive light, is that the Vikings ran the ball very well. Even after Dalvin Cook went out with a groin injury in the middle of the game, um, the Vikings had a, a lot of success running the ball. They were able to run on this Seahawks defense. Now, that's something that the Seahawks have struggled with before. So it's not like they beat up, you know, the old school kind of Pete Carroll defense, but they ran very well and that's very good. And I honestly, I thought the offensive line protected okay with the exception of Drew Samia. And Dakota Dozier had a lot of problems too, especially with spacing and awareness and finding landmarks and kind of setting up angles and stuff. Um, but with the exception of Drew Samia, who had one of the worst games I've ever seen an NFL player have at any position. And I'm not, I, I like, I cannot possibly exaggerate. This is, we watched TJ Clemmings, you know, we are Vikings fans. We've seen like the Tom Comptons of the world. We've seen Matt Khalil fall apart. We've seen all sorts of really, really bad offensive line play. And Drew Samia has found a way to be more spectacularly bad than all of it. I don't know if I've ever seen an NFL player be worse at football than Drew Samia was on Sunday night. It was uncategorizably bad <laughs> to make up a word. Um, but I mean, the offense, despite all that, was able to kind of spread the ball around. There's like a lot of distribution of targets. Irv Smith had a nice game. He had like four or five catches, which was a, a personal record for him. Got Justin Jefferson involved. Adam Thielen like basically took over a whole drive. You got a, a lot of uh, run with all the different running backs and stuff. Everybody got involved. And I thought actually Kirk Cousins had like a drop back quick pass game going on, which is very good in a world where, you know, you're worried about your offensive line protecting and you're going to be under pressure a lot. That kind of quick pass game makes things a lot easier, which is probably why my impression is that the offensive line played okay, because I thought the play calling for the most part like helped make their job easier and took advantage of the good route runners that you have, which I agree with. I think this was actually a pretty well-called game for Gary Kubiak on the whole. There are a couple things that I disagree with, but nothing like very major. I actually think that they called a nice game and they played to their talents and the offense on the whole, I thought had a reasonable day outside of, you know, the meltdowns that have to be part of this and undid a whole bunch of that good work. Um, on the defensive side, I actually thought the corners held up and a lot better than I thought. I mean, I was going into this game going like, oh my goodness, they're going to get so many deep passes. They're going to put up 45 on us. You know, and, and I thought outside again, outside of a, this is going to be the theme of the day outside of like this catastrophe, this really, really bad thing. The corners held up. I, th I thought they did a lot better than I expected them to do against guys like DK Metcalf and, and Tyler Lockett was almost entirely shut down and David Moore and stuff. And I thought in coverage, I mean, there were a lot of like coverage sacks in the, in the first half. There were four sacks and there was a stat from the broadcast. All four of those sacks. Russell Wilson held the ball for more than four seconds, which is covering for four seconds is wild. Those are coverage sacks and, and getting four coverage sacks and a half means you were playing pretty well. And it's unfortunate that it was all kind of like undone by a couple of lapses later in the game. And the D-line kind of held up their end of that bargain as well. I thought Afadio Denebo had a good game. Unique Ngakwe is still Unique Ngakwe. I, th I, th I kind of think Shamar Steph is actually putting together a year. I was like his biggest hater in this offseason, but he's having a reasonable season as a nose tackle. Um, and, and he's actually not playing nose. I mean, he's doing like nose tackle responsibilities from the three technique position, which I still think is kind of uh, like a low ceiling option. Like there's only so much utility you can 
can get out of that, but he is performing the duties that are asked of him, and I think he's performing them well, so you gotta give him credit for that. But there's a whole bunch of moments in this. There's uh, some uh, weird, like, fumble recovery stuff. Of course, the meltdown in the third quarter will go into. Of course, the final drive will go into. There's a lot of stuff that we have to talk about, but I kind of wanted to start with the overall stuff, both to give you a sense of the game, if you missed parts of it or whatever, and also because I think the the, the coaches are gonna come back and say, hey, man, they played pretty well. We gotta clean up this and that. We gotta fix these problems that led to these meltdowns, but there's a lot that I think that they can build on to maybe feel the competitive team. It's just kind of unfortunate that at this point, positioning-wise, feels a little too late. You're one and four, and that's not gonna be enough. You need to start racking up wins, and you need to start doing that real quick to get back in this race. But before we get into that, I want to tell you that Vesel... But before we get into that, I just want to tell you that Visa notes that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee spots, our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders, they call us by name, always giving back and making a difference and going that extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, in these weird times, local businesses need our support. So it's time for us to return the favor, right? The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at a local business and look for the contactless symbol to pay with a contactless Visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters visa everywhere you want to be official partner of the nfl all right let's talk about some of the like deeply chaotic like real defining moments that happened in this game and i guess i want to start with the thing that sort of kicked off that really bad no i think the thing that kicked off that really bad meltdown in the third quarter um so basically the vikings go into halftime up 13 to 0 they shut out the seahawks in the first half and they get the ball to start the third quarter after a uh, Seahawks three and out. So you kind of, you get the ball, you go three and out, and then you punt it right back to them. They go down and score a touchdown. So you've got 13 to seven. And in the ensuing possession, Dalvin Cook strains his groin in the middle of a play, has to go out, actually comes back in uh, for like one play, but it looks like, you know, that's going to be, he's going to get an MRI on that. And now we kind of have to worry about that. But now you've got Amir Abdullah in, and it turns out to be third and 17 because there was a holding penalty in there too. And Kirk Cousins gets his hand flicked as he throws it. The ball comes out. Turns out that his arm wasn't going forward yet, so it's actually a fumble. And what happens is it looks very much like an incomplete pass, but it kind of comes out funny, so the refs sort of hesitate. People start scrambling for the ball. Amir Abdullah tries to recover the ball. He miserably fails. And then the Seahawks actually recover it, but by the time the Seahawks actually get possession of it, whistles have started to blow. So you would think the play is blown dead so now it's fourth down the vikings punt and it's bad three and out but at least you know you're kind of trading punts at this point and you still feel like the game is in a stable-ish spot but instead they actually award the ball to the seahawks and they get first down on their on uh, the vikings 15 yard lines on the plus 15 so that's a big swingy play right and people are really upset about that uh, call because the whistle had blown how can you award the seahawks a recovery if the whistle had blown and like players had sort of pulled up and started walking back to their sidelines and stuff uh and like how how do you do that? Well, it turns out the rules actually say that that's kind of how it works. I want to shout out. I was looking for the rules all night. Uh, and Rob Kukala uh, RJ, at RJ Vikings, thank you so much for uh, pointing this out. He found the passage for me. But basically it says this. Okay, so when an on-field ruling is incomplete and the passer clearly fumbled the ball, so this situation, right, uh, it the ball will be awarded at the spot of recovery to the team that recovers the ball in the immediate continuing action and so immediate continuing action refers to even if the whistle was blown it's kind of you know okay whoever still gets it because if the whistle is blown you don't just like cut it off there and if you know guys are still trying to recover it you still give them the recovery and then if no recovery is made if there's no clear recovery and everybody just sort of walks away from the ball and leaves it on the ground then uh you know you 
award it to whoever had it beforehand. Usually if there's a loose ball and for whatever reason, there is an inadvertent whistle. Like I always say this situation is like if the ref sneezes into the whistle and blows it dead in the middle of a play. Right. Um, and, and the ball is loose at that point, there's no clear recovery. It just goes back to whoever had it. Right. Which is usually the offense. Um, but in this case, the Seahawks did clearly recover it in the immediate continuing action. And the fact that the whistle blew doesn't actually matter. So it's not a bad call. It's just a stupid play and you shouldn't get strip sacked. So two plays later, there's a touchdown, and now suddenly the Vikings are losing 13-14, to and then on the next Seahawks drive, they give up a breakaway Chris Carson touchdown. So suddenly, it was a minute 53 of game time. You go from up 13-0 to down 21-13. It's just this inexcusable meltdown. You've got, uh, there was also an interception in there with Kirk Cousins uh, intercepting, throwing this horrendous interception to K.J. Wright, where he tried to float it up above him um, to, to Justin Jefferson, and K.J. Wright was like taller than Kirk Cousins expected, and he comes down with it and it's just these sorts of meltdowns this idea I mean Kirk Cousins turned the ball over three times we can argue over which are are or aren't his fault right because strip sacks mean you know an offensive line got beat and stuff but then there's pocket awareness so we can argue about all that but like at a certain point this team needs to stop melting down like this and this meltdown absolutely brought the Seahawks back into a game that they were getting outplayed in and suddenly you're losing and and it's just like your mistakes are worse than their mistakes and so they have the lead with the way the Vikings are playing, they don't need to be perfect for 60 minutes. They just need to put together 60 reasonable minutes of football and their skill will take over and they should be able to win enough games that way, but they can't put together 60 reasonable minutes of football. And this is kind of that meltdown. And it also sort of was led about by the Dalvin Cook injury. Of course, you know, an Alexander Madison run goes nowhere. And then, you know, if if Dalvin Cook was on that uh, fumble recovery instead of Amir Abdullah, maybe that works out differently. And Dalvin Cook being out ends up coming up a lot in this game. They really missed Dalvin Cook. And this is coming from somebody who understands the, the running backs don't matter uh, argument pretty intimately. And I really think that they missed Dalvin Cook in this one. But... The Vikings clawed their way back into it in this, this. And and for as much as I'm criticizing them for not having any resiliency, you know, like you have that bad strip sack thing and it's kind of demoralizing, right? You didn't think it was a fumble and it was a fumble. And now defense has to go out there and go right into red zone mode. And that's kind of demoralizing. But I don't think that that's an excuse for giving up a touchdown in two plays. I think you got to play a little bit tighter than that. And I mean, yeah, red zone is tough and they've been really good in the red zone on, on the whole. Uh, but that was a really, really bad sequence. And I don't think it like I, I think you got to show a little more resiliency than that. And to their credit, they did. They kind of clawed back into the game. They had this great drive where they go down. They make it 19 to 21. They don't get the two point conversion. Um, but that was also helped by a fourth quarter interception from Eric Wilson that then led to the drive that led to the uh, controversial fourth and inches, which we'll talk about here coming up. But Eric Wilson had a kind of a weird uh, day with wheel routes. He was covering a wheel route earlier in the game on Will Disley, the tight end for the Seahawks, covering a wheel route. And he just fell down. He just lost his footing, fell down, and it was a touchdown because of it. Um, and then later, he's covering a wheel route on uh, Chris Carson, and it's a little underthrown, and he ends up actually intercepting it. And Chris Carson stepped out of bounds, which means that he's not an eligible receiver anymore, which means that Eric Wilson kind of had free lane to the ball. I thought Chris Collinsworth did a very good job explaining that on the broadcast. Um, but it was this really good interception uh, from Eric Wilson, who other than I think that touchdown and he got washed out in the run game a few times, had a really, really disruptive day that I think is worth calling out. Uh, it was a really nice night for for Eric Wilson. I, I think on the whole, I think his his good pretty heavily outweighed his bad. But I think we have to start talking about the decision points that Mike Zimmer had. There were a lot of very interesting game situations of going for it on fourth down, going for two point conversions or not, um, and all sorts of those sort like game management scenarios that really tested Mike Zimmer in this one. And I think we should go through them. So in a second, let's talk about that. But that's pretty easy to talk about. Something that could be kind of tough to talk about 
is erectile dysfunction. Usually it's something you just kind of brush off, like you say, oh, I'm not feeling it, or I have a headache, you have to make excuses. But Roman is here to get you the advice you want and the help you need with no shame. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A healthcare professional will, will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship you real medicine with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and I think very importantly, discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOn and complete an online visit. ED used to be really tough to talk about, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOn and get up to $50 off of your first month of ED treatment. A free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOn for up to $50 off of your first month of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOn. I also want to talk to you about Built Bar. Built Bar is back, and it's even more delicious. They have six new flavors in addition to all of their originals, uh, like peanut butter brownie and banana bread and mint brownie, salted caramel, all those classics. But now they have stuff like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, these treats that you would not think that you can have if you're on a diet, if you're a guy that's trying to lose or maintain weight. They're low in sugar, low calorie, but they're high in protein, high in fiber, and they're keto-friendly if you're that kind of guy. For example, uh, one of my favorites, peanut butter one, has 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. So if you're into getting a box of Built Bar, you can go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off of your next order. That's different than it was before, 20% off of your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, shall we dive in to some of these crazy moments? Because I think there's a lot that needs to be explained here. And there's going to be a lot of talk here about fourth down strategy. We might even do a whole episode on it tomorrow if I think we need to have a deeper discussion, uh, TBD on that. But one that actually has been, uh, Tommy Kramer, uh, old Vikings quarterback, actually tweeted out after the game uh, that he didn't think the Vikings should have gone for the two-point conversion when they scored the touchdown to, to go to 19-21. to 21. So you're down 19-21, to 21. do you kick the extra point to be 20-21, to 21, or do you kick, take the two-point conversion to try to tie it? He does not think you should try to tie it. I don't think that it is particularly controversial to say that he is wrong there. I think you should definitely try to tie the game. You never know when that point is going to come in handy, and you should definitely try to go for it. Being down two versus being down one isn't particularly that different except in like super specific permutations that I guess we got into this time. But I think those permutations are rare and weird enough that it doesn't make sense to play around them. Just like, I, I think there's more scenarios where being down one loses you the game than going for the tie loses you the game in that situation. But let's talk about going for it on fourth down. The Vikings were incredibly aggressive on fourth and short in this game. They went for three of them uh, and they got two of them. They didn't get the one that we're all going to talk about forever, but they were very, very aggressive. And I think in general, they're correct about this. Um, in general, punting, you can think of punting kind of as an arm punt turnover um, in terms of win, win probability and like the way that that analytics and probability and kind of EPA and all the like really complex math stuff that a lot of people kind of shun the way that a lot of those models tend to look at punting is as kind of a, a, a seeding of a possession, right? You're seeding possession there. And if it's fourth and one and you have a decent chance to maintain that possession, if you go for it and you elect to just give up and not go for it for the sake of a few yards of field position, which actually doesn't really have as big of an impact. I mean, you want to chase field position when you can, when it's costless, but at the cost of a possession that might've been, uh, you know, able to stay alive. A lot of times they'll say, you know, you probably shouldn't punt. Like if you're at midfield, you probably shouldn't punt because that field position isn't actually particularly valuable and it's hard to extract it, right? It's hard to not get a touchback 
And if you kick from the 40, you get a touchback and you only gain 20 yards of field position. That's not particularly valuable. So you should probably go for it there, even if it's like fourth and five or, you know, like a harder one than a fourth and inches. And for the most part, they say, you know, you, you pick up enough fourth and inches where trying to maintain that possession and not giving up on that possession is going to be worth more to you over the long run than taking the field position all the time. And that more or less explains a lot of the Mike Zimmer decisions uh, earlier in the game to go for it. It was just like better than punting. And, and to his credit, it worked out. So nobody's really going to question that a lot. But it probably should be used to lay the foundation for the big one, which is Alexander Madison, uh, the run uh, to the right side, off, off tackle to the right on fourth and inches, uh, you know, down on your own, like five or on, on the plus five yard line. So you're five yards away from a touchdown. It's fourth and inches. Do you kick the field goal or do you go for two? Uh, it's about the two minute warning. You're up by five points at that time. That's the situation. Mike Zimmer decides to go for it. He doesn't get it. Seahawks take over. And now basically you're up five instead of being up eight. And so a touchdown wins the game for the Seahawks, regardless of if they get the extra point or and they don't have to go for a two point conversion. So that's kind of the cost is if you don't get it, um, you know, they need to drive down the field and beat you. But if they do, they don't need a two point conversion. So you're basically what you're wagering, what you're kind of putting up for the bet is making the Seahawks go for a two point conversion or not making them do that. What you stand to gain is if you get it, the game is basically over. They didn't have enough timeouts to stop the clock. You could basically kneel out the game from there, kick a field goal. The Seahawks would maybe get the ball back with like 15 seconds and some weird Hail Mary stuff, but more or less the game would have been over. Uh, and if you just kick the field goal, you're now kicking off to the Seahawks. They have an easier drive to get to the end zone, but when they get there, they do have to go for the two-point conversion. Now, the broadcast just showed like percentages and basically said, yeah, win percentage is better if you go for it, they should have gone for it. And they kind of ended the conversation there. But I think that falls deaf on a lot of people. I think a lot of people say, yeah, hey, you know, game's not played on a spreadsheet. You know, go, you should like take your points, right? You just take the points, go up eight. Like, this is stupid. We're overthinking this. This is the math nerd thing. And I think that kind of shut down. So let me try to put this in terms that don't rely on like percentage points or whatever. Think of it this way. If you kick the field goal, and let's assume the field goal is a given, although it's the Vikings in prime time and it's in the rain, like there's weird stuff that could happen there. But let's ignore that for now. Let's say the field goal is a given, right? So if the field goal is there, they're driving down 75 yards, they have to get the touchdown and the two-point conversion. That is the situation that is the baseline, and you are trying to figure out if your situation is better or worse than that. Well, if you get it, you just win. And that whole drive, you've taken Russell Wilson out of the game, and that is pretty valuable. That's obviously better. And if you lose, they have to go down 94 yards. They have to go about 20 yards more. Uh, but like I said before, field position, not that important, and they don't have to go for the two at the end. So the difference, I think, between they have to drive 75 and get a two versus they have to drive 94, but they don't need a two is small. I think I would rather make them go for the two than give them the two and give them the 20 yards than the other side. But the difference there is small. And the difference between we don't need our defense to stop them anymore. And this is Russell Wilson in prime time, all the magic. We all know what he's capable of. And we knew before this game what he was capable of. And I think taking the game out of the hands of Russell Wilson guaranteed was a thing worth gambling for. I think that was a prize worth pursuing. And the fact that it didn't work, I don't think invalidates this decision. If you put me in that situation again, where you're up five you know in within your within the uh, the opponent's 10 yard line and you have a fourth and inches i'm going for it every single time but a lot of people didn't like the play call they didn't like running to the right you know drew samia had this terrible game why'd you run behind him they didn't run behind him they ran behind brian o'neill and cj ham up the c gap uh drew samia what i mean he's on the field but the the play he was not the point of attack on that play at all i um, mean for what it's worth he did make a decent block brian o'neill didn't win his block uh very well i think he's stalemated but in short yardage situations you want to get a push so a stalemate's kind of a win for the defense 
Um, and CJ Ham also kind of stalemated. Alexander Madison had uh, could have bounced the, the the ball out to the outside of CJ Ham. He had this really big space and maybe could have uh, gotten it there. Although he would have had to beat a linebacker to the edge, so that's not necessarily guaranteed. But a lot of people think he should have done that. Um, to that, I would just caution you: if you see a screenshot, don't buy the screenshot. Watch the video. The video, I, I think you might even come out with the same uh, the same conclusion, and that's okay. But if you're going to come to that conclusion, come to it by watching the entire video. Do not look at a screenshot; they can be unbelievable misleading. But this is the part where I kind of think missing Dalvin Cook came into play. They missed Dalvin Cook in this game. Dalvin Cook has this excellent talent for kind of manipulating his rushing lanes by how he approaches them. So while Alexander Madison just runs at the gap, tries to get it and be physical, right? Most running backs will do that, and that's totally fine. But what Dalvin Cook would will, will do often, and what I think he would have done here, um, is he would widen that out by trying to basically take a couple steps as if he's going to try to uh, try to get the edge and take that big gap that everybody's so upset that Alexander Madison didn't take. I don't think that's a better gap on fourth and short. I think, you know, go north-south and don't try to get cute going east west um but if you take a couple steps that way you're going to force that linebacker to kind of widen out as well and go that way with you and that makes cj ham's block way easier it makes brian o'neill's block way easier and it would open up a lane that ultimately got too clogged up for alexander madison to get through that's the kind of thing that i think makes dalvin cook a more creative runner not creative like artsy but creative like he creates um and and i think that's the kind of thing that kind of that i think like dalvin cook converts that in my opinion and, and i think that's why not necessarily because he bounces it out. I don't think he would bounce it out, but I think he would be able to widen his lane because he's a much savvier running back. But he doesn't get it, and that leaves 94 yards in the rain. Russell Wilson with the game on the line. You need a touchdown, and he drives down, and he gets it. The biggest play on this, um, I, I, there were really two chances to end the game after this. There was a 4th and 10 where Russell Wilson hit DK Metcalf deep. He basically hucked it up for DK Metcalf, and, and Cameron Dantzler entirely lost the ball, uh, giving them a fresh set of downs. This was definitely Cameron Dantzler's worst play on the in the game. I wouldn't be surprised if this was Cam Cameron Dantzler's only genuinely bad play of the game. He gave up a slant touchdown to Metcalf as well early. Uh, but I, he couldn't have really covered that better. That was just a perfectly executed play, and it's really hard to blame him for that. And then they had a goal line series that went all the way to fourth and goal, where uh, the final play for the, the Seahawks was a touchdown. Uh, it was mesh against man coverage. That means there's two crossing routes that are kind of crossing in front of each other, um, like these like shallow sort of run across all the way the, across the formation, and they cross each other, and it's supposed to confuse coverages and create a little bit of space. It created just a little bit of space. Russell Wilson looked off Anthony Harris, got him to take just a step or two to the wrong uh, direction, and made just enough space for him to fit it into a very tight window because Anthony Harris recovered very quickly but it was just an inch too late and they get the touchdown. Then that brings up a Viking situation where they have 15 seconds, two timeouts and need a field goal and they're on the 25. They need to go all the way down the field. They probably should have had more time, but Mike Zimmer didn't take any timeouts in that final uh, Seahawks drive to stop the clock. So the Seahawks actually ran the clock down as much as they wanted. And uh, Mike Zimmer went home with a timeout here. He took one timeout during that drive and he actually kept one in his pocket. And instead he had, you know, basically the game end on another controversial strip sack thing that I thought should have been an incomplete pass, but it wasn't. And in the scrum to recover it, the clock ended up draining all the way to zero. Um, again, it, way too much has gone wrong for this to be like the reason the Vikings lost the game, but that was a very bad and very pivotal call. But circling back to the timeouts, the Seahawks had first and goal with like 53 seconds to go. And the whole sequence of goal line plays 
took them and they were all incompletes up until the touchdown. So they were all clock stops. It took them about 18 seconds off of the game clock. So if you had taken a timeout as soon as uh, first and goal, as soon as the, the Seahawks completed it, converted to second and 10 to get to first and goal, and you would have taken that timeout at 53 seconds, you probably would have had like 38, 37 seconds, something like that, and one timeout to go down and get a field goal. That's much more feasible than 15 seconds and two timeouts. And honestly, I have no problems with the way that Mike Zimmer coached this game outside of that decision to not take timeouts. That's the only thing I actually think is a bothersome decision. And I, I think there's way many other reasons that the Vikings lost this game. Fix the meltdown, fix the corners losing the ball on the big moments, you know, fix uh, the, the terrible Kirk Cousins interceptions and the fumbles and fix all that stuff. And the timeout thing, I think you can overcome pretty easily. But in a one point game, you can usually pick out one or two really trivial things that probably change the outcome of the game without changing the stuff that's really bad but yeah I think in a situation where you ran out of time and you know you only had 15 seconds to get a field goal going home with one timeout is pretty inexcusable but I think I captured most of the chaos of that game obviously we're gonna do rewatch Wednesday so come back Wednesday we'll talk a little bit more about what we see on the all 22 and in PFF and stuff and kind of the major insights uh, but for now that's gonna do it for this episode of locked on Vikings I will see you all tomorrow Maybe we'll have a discussion about fourth downs or like game management or stuff. Uh, you know, maybe we'll do something else. We'll see. But in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. Today's episode is brought to you by Visa. And as always, Skull.